0: On today's show, a holiday mailbag edition of the podcast on this Tuesday into Wednesday. We'll answer your questions as well as a brief preview of Hawks and Bulls coming up on Wednesday night. All that and more on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1373 of the Lothan Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday here in late December. And today's podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp as the world's largest therapy service. BetterHelp is matched free people with professional-licensed therapist therapists available 100% online. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash NBA. I also want to encourage you, as always, to check out this podcast on whatever podcast player that you might enjoy. Make us your first listen each and every day. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, as well as YouTube on the video side, and uh, we'll dive into sort of an off-night podcast between games. It is the holiday season, of course, and uh, with travel coming up for me and plenty of game situations and Christmas holidays, New Year's, all that stuff, not going to be a ton of non-game content over the next two weeks, so it was definitely due for some mailbag questions, and uh, for the most part, this episode should be relatively uh, fresh for you. I I am going to do a little bit of uh, timely content at the very, very top of the show with a preview of Hawks' Bulls, because I'm recording this on Tuesday evening. The Hawks host the Bulls on Wednesday, but in after that, the rest of the show should be relatively uh, fresh. If you want to listen, sort of do save this one, listen to it over the holidays, etc. And uh, plenty of stuff to get to on this podcast. But here we are, Tuesday into Wednesday. And that will sort of uh, inform the rest of this episode. First, though, a Bulls preview. The Bulls actually won tonight. They're on a back-to-back as they travel to Atlanta from Miami on Tuesday. But they've been scuffling pretty badly coming into that game against Miami. And the Heat are also really not playing very well right now. But anyway... Chicago had lost four in a row, including that last-second loss to the Hawks last week where A.J. Griffin had the uh, walk-off game winner, Uh, but they, they, again, beat Miami tonight. Also, Shams Sarani and The Athletic reported on Tuesday afternoon that the Bulls are kind of actively having to manage a disconnect between their best players and Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. And the, there's some swirling winds out there that they might need some organizational changes and uh, whispers about teardowns, all that stuff. So they're not in the best place in the world. Obviously, they won tonight, but it doesn't seem like Chicago's like, necessarily firing all cylinders right now as they arrive in Atlanta, in addition to the rest advantage that the Hawks will have in that game. Uh, offensively, the Bulls are basically built around DeRozan and Levine. They take a lot of mid-range jump shots. In fact, the most mid-rangers in the entire league, particularly in the glass. They'll take the fewest attempts from three-point range in the entire league in terms of overall percentage of shots from three-point range. They are below average on on offense overall. Uh, They're just kind of middling at getting to the line and turning the ball over, but there's kind of just average across the board, which is some, some questionable shooting on the perimeter. They're below average as well on the glass, which is very helpful with Clint Capella still out for Atlanta in this game. And then defensively, they're kind of just, again, pretty average, to be honest. They are great in a couple of different areas. They're awesome on the defensive glass, which is an area without Capella the Hawks are not going to be able to punish them there necessarily with second chance points. Also, they're very good at turning you over on defense, but the Hawks are very good at protecting the ball, which is very helpful in this matchup against the Bulls. So um, injury stuff is up in the air right now with Chicago coming on the back-to-back, so they don't have to release an injury report until Wednesday afternoon. But Lonzo Ball is still out for the Bulls, has been all season long, unfortunately for them. Javante Green has been a rotational forward for them. He missed the game on Tuesday as well. On the Hawks side, Capella is the only player listed on the injury report for the Hawks. He remains out with the calf strain, no surprise there, but after Murray and Collins came back on Monday, either of those guys Is listed at all. That's a positive. My guy Kevin Shinard reported on uh, Tuesday that John Collins is going to be still limited by minutes uh, for the game on Wednesday, but probably going to be higher on the minutes restriction level. Obviously, Nate McMillan loves to not share the exact number on those restrictions, but I think it was around 20 on uh, on Monday, given the way that he was deployed. So we'll see if they start small again. This is a different matchup than the uh, than the previous one, where the Bulls have a true sort of a back to the basket center in Nicole Vucevic. It would not surprise me they went back to a Kongu in this game, but we'll see how they all go there. Whether Collins plays exclusively at the five as he did on Monday, but uh, generally speaking, this is a good matchup for the Hawks. They just beat the Bulls, of course, but even beyond that, Atlanta has the rest advantage. No travel with a full day off on Tuesday. They had a brief practice, but still they were around the city. Whereas the Bulls again were in action tonight, have to have to travel overnight from Miami to Atlanta, and the Hawks have home court. So. So our friends at online as of Tuesday evening, make the Hawks a seven-point favorite. That's obviously a smaller number than the Orlando game was on Monday, but still a situation where the Hawks, if they play even a B-plus game, should win. We'll see if they're able to do that. Nothing is ever assured in the NBA, but uh, that's all I have on the Hawks and Bulls. But that game's coming on Wednesday, and of course we'll have a new podcast after that game is over on this same podcast fee, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, from here. We'll get into some mailbag questions. Then we'll sort of uh, bounce around, just as a preview of what we're going to talk about today on the show. Uh, a couple of questions about AJ Griffin. I got some stuff about the trade room market. So it's been a little bit while, a little while since I've talked about rumors, and uh, I use rumors very loosely on the trade stuff. And then we'll get into kind of all of what uh, all of what was, what was asked of me, even some Christmas stuff at the very very end of the podcast. So um, first question today comes from Ted, who says, "How many players on this year's Hawks team have performed above your expectations for this season only?" Quick question here. I think the short answer is probably only two, which is not great necessarily. Uh, I think those guys who have performed above expectations for me anyway are Clint Capella and AJ Griffin. I think there are guys who have played up to their level or at least something close to their level. I think uh, DeAndre Hunter has been in that group of kind of what I expected this year. DeJounte Murray has been pretty much what I expected for the most part. I think John Collins is like on the line between meeting and a little bit falling short. I think defensively he's been really good, but offensively obviously the missed shots on the perimeter make him a little bit maybe below that level. I think Jalen Johnson's kind of what I thought he was going to be at least overall this year as kind of a fringe rotation guy. Uh, Aaron holiday, probably there as well. Um, And there's obviously some guys below that level. I think Trey young definitely has been below his normal level this season. I think a has been a little bit below what I thought he would be this year. So far Uh, Collins, again, kind of uh, either way with either meeting or falling below. And then Justin holiday, I would also put below below the line on that level as well. But um, as far as like going above expectations, I think, even with my expectations being pretty high for Capella, as they definitely always are. I've always been very high on Clint and his impact. I think he's he's been very good this year. Um, So I guess maybe he's at least closer to meeting my expectations, maybe a little bit over that. But he's an awesome. I think I've said before the before the injury, I thought he was the MVP of the team so far. Obviously, Trey Young is a better basketball player than Clint Capella, and so is Dejounte Murray. But for this year and the way that the, the team has actually performed, I would have taken Clint as the MVP for the first like 28 games or so of the season. Um So anyway, I would go above there, and I, I think Griffin is the only guy on the roster that like very clearly has been above what I really thought he was going to be. And basically, it's because rookies. One of my rules, one of my uh, kind of phrases, is that rookies are usually bad. They're not always bad, but they usually are are bad. Especially one and done guys like like AJ Griffin, who's very very young, nineteen years old. I do think that there is the tendency to maybe overrate how good he has been because you know he's obviously a lot of a bright spot for the future. I'm very high on him as well. I had him in my top 10 or 12 in the draft. Um, definitely a firm lottery pick. He slipped too far in my opinion, because of the injury stuff, but I think they are probably a little bit too aggressive sometimes. And like talking about how he's definitely going to be a star, all this stuff. I wouldn't go quite that far just yet, but he has been much better than I would have expected to this point. I think the fact that he, uh, um, but by what he is, rookie standards wise, defensively, he has a ways to go still for sure, but he's not he's not killing them defensively at all. Offensively, he is clearly valuable already with his shooting and his secondary creation. He plays like a veteran in a lot of ways. He's not like panicked really at any point, which is a very, very uh, positive thing for a guy as young as he is. Obviously helps to have a dad who played in the NBA is still a coach in the NBA. But, uh, you know, AJ has been, I think, very solidly better than, than, than I would have thought. And even just looking at like Hawks history in recent years or just the NBA baseline, most guys, and we actually no question about AJ later on in the podcast that we'll talk about this a little bit more. But most guys who are one and done mid first round picks don't make huge impacts. And if they, if they end up playing a lot, they're usually pretty bad. Um, Jalen Johnson was like in a similar range last year, didn't play very much, obviously. Maybe should have played a little bit more than he did, but still would not have been a huge help, I don't think, last year to the Hawks, whereas AJ has been a real rotation player as a 19-year-old wing, and that is a huge, huge thing for a player that the Hawks are going to be relying on moving forward. So, all right, that'll be it for that question, but uh, not a whole lot of positivity. Obviously, the the Hawks are still like 16, 15. They're obviously above the 500 mark as they record this podcast. But at the same time, um, mostly it's just been like kind of a middling performance and i think uh, it goes without saying that griffin's really the only guy who's like clearly above that line even if i could argue for capella and maybe maybe another guy or two along the way all right we'll have more about questions coming for you in a moment but first it were from our sponsors on the show today Today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp, but unfortunately, life does not come with a user manual, so if things are not working as planned, it's totally normal to feel stuck. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel unsure of things, whether it's changing change your career or a new relationship, becoming a parent, or something totally different from that. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenges and emotions and learn the skills that are productive in coping with what is happening. That makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine that you are. BetterHelp can bring self-empowerment and help you deal with the challenges of life, whether it's trauma or simply feeling overwhelmed, and as the world's largest therapy service, Better BetterHelp has matched more than 3 million people with professionally licensed event therapists available 100% online, plus it's actually affordable. Fill out a brief questionnaire with BetterHelp to match with a the therapist. If things are not clicking, you can easily switch it out to a new therapist at any point as well. It couldn't be any simpler. No more waiting rooms, no traffic, no searching for the right therapist, and you can learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash MBA. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash MBA. All right, a question from Scott, who says, I think you talked about it with Glenn Willis. Can you project what the rotation would be for a playoff game right now if everyone was healthy? This is not my friend Scott Coleman, who I co-host the Battery Power podcast with, I don't think. At least, Scott, uh, at least he's under a pseudonym of some sort, but thank you for the question, Scott. I will give one caveat here and say that a playoff matchup is uh, very matchup-based in a lot of ways, so... Um, there was no opponent given to me on this particular question, so I'll go generic, but keep that in mind. Like, I think playoff stuff is definitely matchup-based to some degree. There are some locks, of course, when it comes to really putting this rotation together if everybody's healthy. I think there are really seven. Uh, it's Trae Young, Jonte Murray, Bogdanovich, Hunter, Capella, Collins, and Akongwu. I think are all locks to play in a game when they are healthy. Those seven guys, barring something crazy, would be playing at least some minutes in a playoff setting. Um theoretically, the Hawks would probably play a whole game with those seven. You don't often see that. But in the playoffs, benches are a lot shorter. Uh, obviously, Toronto is kind of an example of this in recent years. I do believe, though, that the Hawks would play at least eight, probably nine guys, because Nate McMillan likes to go deeper than I probably would at certain levels of the postseason so far. Number eight for me would be Griffin, I think, on this list, because, of uh, number one, he's a perimeter guy, the shooting, all that stuff. Um, I, the only way that he wouldn't play is if he just showed that he couldn't play, he couldn't be on the floor defensively. But I think it would take a little bit, a little bit of time for the Hawks to like, just decide that. And obviously, um, I think he'd be all right in the setting. He, I, don't, I don't think he'd probably play a ton in a playoff series if everybody was healthy, but AJ would be at least part of the rotation at this point, which, again, is a huge positive, by the way. The fact, he's even uh, on this list in the top eight or nine is a good sign for his future. Uh, and then and then, sort of if you want to go to nine, I think either Aaron Holiday or Jalen Johnson would be the ninth guy on this list, depending on matchups. If you needed somebody to guard a perimeter guy uh, who's more of a guard size player, Aaron Holiday is a good pest at doing that. And uh, Jalen Johnson gives them more size, of course. Nate has gone deeper than I probably would have. Honestly, if it was me in a vacuum right now and all you said was you get to, you get to play a rotation, and I, I'm not going to tell you the opponent – I'm going to choose the eight guys that I laid out. It's those seven plus AJ Griffin, and I'll roll with those guys. And then if something happens to Collins, uh, sorry, sorry, if something happens to a Kongwu or Capella, you can play Collins at the center. You can play Hunter at the four if you need to. Uh, Bogey can play a little bit four if he has to fake it because of his strength, et cetera. I would go just kind of with that. Um, obviously, there's a little bit of depth Beyond that with Aaron or Jalen Johnson, maybe even Trent Forrest, if you want to kind of just throw a curveball there with more size than Aaron Holiday. But basically what you want to do in the playoffs is minimize weaknesses. And uh, while a lot of the Hawks bench guys do have weaknesses, I think Aaron has fewer of them than Trent Forrest because he has to be guarded from three point range. Jalen Johnson, just because of a size perspective, can't be picked on too, too much. So those are probably why I'd go with those guys. Uh, Obviously, Justin Holiday might be on that list somewhere along the way in certain matchups as well. But I would go with those eight if I had to choose. And then maybe a ninth guy. And by the way, I don't really care who starts. I had a question about that as well. I'm assuming Bogey's gonna be six man when everybody's healthy and Hunter is back in you know, Hunter's back in his normal spot at the three, Collins, Capella, DeJounte, and Trey. But uh, it wouldn't like stun me if they ever if they were to go to Bogey at some point in the playoff series, et cetera. But I think those those top eight are my eight. And then you can get into uh, an argument about the ninth spot if you want to do that. All right, Uh, next question comes from Jamie, who says, how likely is it that A.J. Griffin could be in the Rookie of the Year race? And he says, he or she says, I'm not sure which one, so my apologies. Um, If not at all, then how likely would first team All-Rookie be? Um, This is a question about A.J. Griffin once again. Um, I think barring a change in circumstance when it comes to, like, playing time and role, A.J. is not going to win Rookie of the Year, and that's not a bad thing. It's just one of those things where he's not going to have quite the minutes load and the numbers that you were kind of need to win Rookie of the Year. I think Paolo Moncaro is a massive favorite to win rookie of the year right now. He would have to get injured probably to not win it because of the numbers that he's going to put up. Number one overall pick, obviously, but he's averaging like 22 points a game. Like He's you know, one of the best players already for Orlando in a huge role, so he's probably going to win it. Ben Mathurin had a hot start for the Pacers, but he's cooled off a little bit. I think he'd be on that list too as a short, as a short uh, on a short list, I should say, of uh, contenders for that. But I think Moncaro is uh, certainly the odds-on favorite to, to win rookie of the year at this point in time. And I'm including injuries in the of circumstances that I mentioned before, like, um, you know, knock on wood, if something were to happen to Paolo, the field gets very much open. But as long as he is out there for even like 20 more games, he'll probably still win it with 50 games or so. So keep that in mind. Anyway, though, as far as the rest of the question, first team all rookie is definitely possible for Griffin, which is, again, hugely impressive for a guy who's coming off the bench on a deep, uh, maybe not deep, but a team that has guys in front of him at the same position. Um, and, and that is obviously trying to win and AJ being so super young that he is. I think he's honestly like kind of a near lock to be on one of the two rookie teams. Uh, from, if you're not familiar with this, all rookie is not positional. So it's just the top 10 vote getters for all rookie, uh, first team, second team in that order. And there are lots of candidates, you know, Boncaro, uh, Matherin, Jaden Ivey, uh, Keegan Murray, Tari Eason, Jabari Smith, Jalen Williams from Oklahoma City, Walker Kessler's been playing well. Uh Jalen Duran, Andrew Nemhart, Griffin, Dyson Daniels could be in the mix if he keeps playing as well as he has been recently for new for New Orleans, et cetera. There's definitely a long list always at this point in the season. Uh, Jaden Ivey is a guy who's third in scoring among rookies but as i always say rookie point guards especially uh, are not usually very good and he's not been very good this year despite his uh, scoring numbers um in the advanced specials don't like him very much Jamar smith's been struggling a little bit by his uh, lofty top three um draft standards uh, but griffin has really one of the better like offensive profiles um efficiency wise um, up there with boncaro and kessler and eason and mathrin um he has a combination griffin does of scoring he's number seven right now as I record this in scoring him on rookies. He has, uh, again, solid efficiency. He's playing on a good team that usually helps as well, and he he has a clear role. I think with Bogey back, Griffin is now going to slot in a little bit further down the pecking order than he was before, but he should be playing in every game, and that definitely is part of the calculus as well, just getting playing time and having the numbers to go ahead and rack up some stats. So I think he's going to be playing, again, a little bit less uh, over the last 16 games. AJ's played 27 minutes a game. That number is going to go down, I think, with Bogey. As long as Bogey and Murray are both healthy and Hunter, uh, those guys are all healthy. AJ's going to play less than that. But still, I think that he's in rotation, and I think he has a pretty good chance at first team, honestly. We'll see how the numbers kind of come and go, how other guys play. But uh, my my hedge here is that he could finish as high as like third or fourth maybe on rookie of the year ballots if he like plays really well and keeps it, and stays in rotation and plays a lot of minutes. I'd probably go probably more like the five to six range if I had to like project right now. But uh, the fact that he's even that high as a mid first round pick on a good team is a positive thing. All right, uh, one more question before we get to a break here. Uh, Charles asks. I get the Kevin Herter thing. That was his framing of the the question. Don't the the Hawks also miss the lawn right almost as much as Kevin Herter? Um, I got a similar question about this, about Gallo too, and this is also kind of interesting too. I think all three guys have huge um, impacts they could have been making on this Hawks team. Herter is the biggest absence, but Gallinari is one where the Hawks have definitely missed his spacing and his uh, you know, one-on-one mismatch creation on offense, his shooting, all that stuff. He's definitely been missing at certain times. Defensively, he was a huge liability, which makes this a little bit easier to cover up, cover up from. But you know, in short, Gallo last year, even in its kind of reduced fashion, is, was a much better player than Jalen Johnson is now. So that's kind of just a very simple way to look at it. Very different players, but offensively not even close, honestly. Um, as for the question itself about DeLon Wright, uh, I, if, you're, if you're a new listener to the podcast, I am a big DeLon Wright guy. I've always liked DeLon. I was preaching he should have been playing more last year. I think that I definitely bore out as the season went along. But I do have to note that he's been hurt most of the year for Washington, so keep that in mind. I can't assume that he, he would not have necessarily been hurt here. Uh, it's never something you just flat would have assumed to be happening, but uh, keep that in mind for part of this. They have definitely missed DeLon, though, and I think he's basically a bigger and better version of the Aaron Holiday, Trent Forrest spot. Um, you know, before that, when they've had injuries, like when Bogie was out, when Murray was out some, when Trey's missed games, they would even they could even use Delon even more. But even at full strength, like there's been a role out there for someone in that mold. It's been Aaron Holiday the last few games as like the ninth man on the roster, 10th man on the roster. But uh, I will say Aaron Holiday is a better shooter than Delon Wright is. But Delon's basically better at, every, at everything else, I think, than Aaron is. And he's definitely better than Trent Forrest at most things too. So I think they would have kind of... I would say benefited from having Delon Wright as a guy with size. He can defend, he can run the offense. He's not a terrible shooter. He's a much better shooter than Trent Forrest is, for instance. Obviously, obviously Herter as part of the question framing here from Charles Herter is the better player and the bigger loss and uh, the more clear example of the Hawks shedding salary as we'll come back to later on in the podcast but Delon they had they had bird rights on they could have signed Delon right to any number they wanted to obviously it's not quite as clear as like being able to flat out match he could have left on his own he was not restricted but the Hawks could have offered him as much money as the Wizards did and they didn't do that so that's part of the calculus here just from the money side but they could use Delon certainly with Murray on the fold his absence is a little bit less than it would have been but there again has been a role for someone with Delon's skill set and I think the Hawks would be better off if they had him versus the Aaron Holiday Trent four spot that they've had to use so far this year. All right. One more break here to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk about all kinds of trade rumblings, I'm not even sure they're rumors, but rumblings, murmurings, how do you want to frame that? But first, a work from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by BetOnline. The NBA season is the forefront of this podcast at all times, really. And things are very busy at this point in the calendar with the holidays approaching. And plus, besides basketball, there's plenty of football and hockey and soccer and other action in the sports world. The sports Christmas slate actually is huge as well. NBA, NFL, and more. And Bet Online is the number one source for all the wagering information you're looking for in the sports betting space. That includes stats and news and analysis this season. Get the latest odds and trends for every pro and college league out there beyond the major sports. They also have eSports and golf, tennis, auto racing horse racing etc and bet online is also very useful engage ladies on the hawks they have spreads and totals and money lines that you're looking for game by game as well as the futures market on the division odds and championship odds and conference odds individual award odds and more bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get sports betting fixed and if you want to uh, f- f- further dive into sports podcast they can also find those at bet online check out bet online on the mobile device or computer to learn more about all the trends and the action in the sports world bet online where the game starts all right so i haven't done a trade rumor Check-in in a while, And part because there really has not been too much to rise to the level of, like, real coverage. You know, I'm not afraid to talk about rumors when they actually rise to the level of rumors and, like, there's actual real traction that I'm hearing or that's being reported. But it's been a while, so I'm touching on, like, a basically, like, a roundup of all things that have been reported and said that I've heard of. I'm not going to do anything on the Zach Lowe-Bobby Marks discussion from last week. If anybody heard this, they went very hypothetical, and they definitely said that as much on the podcast. So It wasn't like it was firm stuff, but talking about Trey Young like a year from now, if things go badly, that's a touchy subject for sure. Um, I don't think Trey, by the way, just as my short answer there would be Trey's not going to be traded unless Trey wants to be traded. I'll say that, unless uh, something cr- – crazily changes in the next year. But uh, anyway, that was all hypothetical anyway, and no reason to kind of even dive into that, but we'll, we'll stay, we'll stay in the somewhat realistic realm on this, on this particular check-in. Obviously the majority of the rumblings in the last few weeks have been about John Collins. That's kind of been the groundhog day of the last couple of years. I talked at length about the first wave of those rumors when Sean Arania wrote the call a couple of weeks ago. Um, first from there though, John Gambadoro and Phoenix reported with some pretty, pretty clear vigor. That the Suns did not have interest in John Collins. He had been floated to them. Um, that local reporting angle could be tricky to parse, but he's usually plugged in around Phoenix ownership and leadership, so that's something um, – Phoenix, Phoenix, by the way, is going to be uh, apparently sold, so that could be a changing of the guard for the Suns. Could change things a lot, honestly, but anyway, that's the uh, that's, that's from a few weeks ago at this point in time. Also, Mark Stein has written about John Collins. Mark Stein is a very credible national reporter. Uh, Confirmed submission from the Jazz uh, on Collins. He did say – that quote: "No clear-cut destination for Collins has emerged, but his exit from the Hawks, after being mentioned in countless trades news for the last few seasons, has never seemed more inevitable." End quote. That's a few weeks old. Obviously, he did talk about that being the same over the summer. I was in the same place as Stein at that point in time, but he was the first person I've seen report, um, at least publicly, that um, they got close with the Kings over the summer. That's notable. I've heard, I heard kind of the same thing, not quite as far as Stein did, but. Um, there's still like all kinds of sourcing. he talks about there being momentum on all sides to find a deal for Collins. Um, he's definitely you know one of the guys that people are sort of framing as one of the most one of, one of the most likely prominent players to be traded. He's obviously been hurt in between now and then. The Hawks have ha- have kind of been like in the middle around the team uh, as, as far as the standings are concerned. Um, Collins has played fine. I think he's played good, def- good defensively. The shooting is not what, it, what it's supposed to be so far this year. But um, it's kind of a holding pattern. And I think people were a little bit jazzed up about that first Shams column because it was such a like, all right, here we go again thing. But generally, trades like f- that are not like imminent guys try to force themselves out, et cetera, don't usually happen in December. It's usually a little bit later. Could happen. We'll see a few people have kind of talked about um, and asked me about like what the on all sides bit meant from, from from Mark Stein when he said momentum is building on all sides to follow through on finding a a new home for Collins. Um, To my knowledge, Collins has never actually like asked slash requested a trade, but the best I can tell is that his camp is probably open to a deal now after basically three years of rumors. It's kind of hard to blame him for that. Obviously if you're a Hawks fan, you probably don't love to hear that. But I think that if you put the guy, put yourself in the guy's shoes, If you're on the block for literally two and a half, three years straight, you're probably at least more open to being okay with a deal um, than you probably would have been a couple of years ago. Um, But anyway, that's not quite the same as actually uh, asking out. Like with Cam Reddish, he asked out and the Hawks still waited a long time before trading him, but that's a little bit different situation. And look, Collins might have have asked out. I'm not sure, but no one has reported that, and I've not heard that. So that's an important distinction to make at this point in time. Uh, Jake Fisher, now of Yahoo Sports, shouts to Jake. He also reported that the Jazz had that interest in John John Collins, and it's actually a real interest. Uh, He did say that the likelihood of Collins going to the Jazz right now is pretty low. The Hawks did talk to the Jazz about Laurie Markkinen, but that did not go anywhere, basically, at this point in time. Jake talks about Phoenix as a potential team. Uh, beyond the Collins thing, he talked about keeping an eye on both Bogey and Justin Holliday. Um, I don't think Holiday has a ton of has a ton of value, but with Bogey back and Griffin emerging, he's expiring contracts. So if a team wanted to go out and just add a piece, that wouldn't stun me either. Uh, earlier this month, also, uh, Shams wrote that, quote, several teams are in the Collins market. That includes Utah and Washington and Brooklyn and Dallas. He said the Hawks, by the way, have not shown interest in Joseph and Joe Harris. And a deal with Brooklyn kind of has to include Joe Harris for just money reasons, unless it's Ben Simmons, which I can't imagine happening, and that would be kind of the logical way to do that. So if they don't want Harris, then that's basically a deal stopper. Um, I would not be interested in that, in that kind of deal. I do like Joe Harris, but he's not as good as John Collins. And the Hawks kind of have um, not that not that you could have too many wings, but the Hawks probably have enough of the uh, maybe defense challenged shooting wings right now with Bogey and Griffin already on board. Um, also, there uh, in Shams' column, he said there's not there does not appear to be traction on a potential framework around Collins and Kyle Kuzma. That's been a popular idea with the Hawks and Wizards. Um, nothing close there at this point in time. And then Jake Fisher added Indiana to the mix as a potential shooter. Um, he said that the sources are telling him that Pacers have told Inquiry team that they're actually searching for a power forward to join the rebuilding effort that of course centers around Tyrese Hallettmurton and Ben Mathurin. And here's the big thing for me with Indiana. Um, Jake reported that Indiana has suggested to opposing front offices that the Pacers are looking to potentially extend Miles Turner. Um, That makes a lot of sense for Indiana if they were to keep Turner. I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole there, but basically Collins and Turner are a very good fit on paper because Turner is at least adept at being a more of a pick and pop guy. Whereas Collins could be the role man. Also you, you pair of Collins with a guy who can protect the rim next to him. That's a great matchup, a great sort of pairing in a vacuum. Uh, this is not a Pacers podcast, but if Indiana were to keep Turner, that interest makes sense. Now getting to a deal that makes sense for the Hawks is more of a challenge. Chris Duarte, is a, a guy that could be available for the Pacers, but despite being in a recent draft class, Chris Duarte is older than John Collins, <laughs> which is kind of funny, but it's actually true. I double-checked. Chris Duarte is older than John Collins, which is kind of funny. Anyway, uh, same piece, by the way, from Jake. Last thing on Collins for now is that Jake wrote about a three-team concept with the Hawks, Suns, and Jazz. There was at least discussed with Utah getting Collins and the Hawks getting Jake Crowder, but that, appear, uh, that appears to be, quote, an expired idea. End quote for right now. So long story short, with Collins, not nothing has risen to the level of me thinking it's like really serious. I think he is definitely available. The Hawks are at least taking calls and probably making calls on him. I think that um, my general Thought is like it would, it should surprise no one if he's traded before February. But I think if it happens, it'll be a little bit closer to the deadline. And obviously, the Hawks want a lot of information because if Atlanta's playing well, it's harder to trade him. If the Hawks are still hovering around 500, maybe a little bit easier to make that deal if they want to uh, kind of build or retool on the fly for the future. Um, elsewhere on the trade front, before we get out of here, um, Bogdanovich came up a couple different times actually in the last couple of months. This is before he came back and played for the most part. But Kevin O'Connor reported that Bogey is a potential target of the Suns, uh, presumably. Phoenix would be trying to send Jay Crowder back to Atlanta in a deal for bogey. Um, But the Hawks might not have interest in keeping bogey around at the number that he has. We'll come back to in a second, Uh, but that's an interesting thought bubble. I'm not sure if it was like based on, you know, solid like Intel, but we'll see on that. And then Mike Scotto of hoops hype reported, by the way, Mike used to be at the athletic, he's very smart. Um, he reported that rival executives I'm reading this now from Mike believe the Hawks will likely have to part with either Collins, Bogdanovich, or Capella for tax concerns. Now, I have said this on the podcast before and mentioned it either in conversations or mailbags or whatever. Uh, this exact same sentiment, but unfortunately, it does seem like from all the stuff behind the scenes, the Hawks are not gonna necessarily going to be eager to pay the tax next year either. Now, I'm not as firm about this as I was last year what I was directly hearing and I'm still hearing the Hawks are not going to be t- paying the tax this year. I was hearing that over the summer. I said as much. I was right about that to this point. The Hawks did not want to pay the tax. They obviously made moves to cut money with the express desire to avoid the tax this year. Now that could change for next year. I'm not, I'm not as firm about that in what I'm actually reporting and telling you about on my end. But as for Mike's reporting here, it does make sense if the Hawks were to, were to try to duck the tax for next year that they kind of have to trade one of Collins, Bogey, or Capella or do something even bigger than that. So essentially, if Bogey opts into his player option, we'll have much more on this in the future, but just for the rough numbers right now, if Bogey were to opt in next year, it's $18 million. If he's on the roster, the Hawks are basically already at the luxury tax line with nine players under contract. And you can't just have nine players under contract. Um, those, those guys are all core pieces, which is a positive. It's Young, Murray, Collins, Capella, Bogdanovich, Hunter, Akangwu, Griffin, and Jalen Johnson. So they're all guys that you care about, for sure. But even if you just add the first-round pick, you're already over the tax line. Um, and by the way, you have to fill out the roster regardless. Even with minimums, they'd be over the line. So if the Hawks, from top down, if wrestler says to Travis Schleck and Landry Fields, I'm not paying the tax next year, they have to move someone maybe even two someone's and the logical candidates would be Collins, Bogdanovich and Capella. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a Kong who's making $10 million next year. That's a guy they could move in very easily if they wanted to, and want to keep Capella around. I'm not saying it's as clear cut as this, but Mike did report that one of those three guys would be what the rival executives expect to be moved in the near future with not a lot of money coming back. So Bogey has the injuries and the emergence of Griffin behind him. Collins is always available, of course, and, and Capella has the Akangu dynamic in place as well. Um, also, also notably, uh, this is actually kind of a surprise that went under, I think, kind of under-noticed. Scott reported that Bogdanovich is the, quote, most available, end quote, of the three. Now, that's interesting to me because Collins is obviously very available. This is also a couple of weeks old now, so maybe it's changed. Bogie looks pretty good. But uh, that's just a eyebrow raiser for me anyway. But uh, long story short, the Hawks do have to uh, take into account some of that money stuff that they want to uh, keep up, out of the tax. If I'm a Hawks fan, I, that would not sit well with me, but uh, I'll just present the facts and let you guys decide what you want to think about all of that. In the end, the Hawks don't have to do anything imminently. I've yet to hear a single rumor that rises to the level of being urgent to talk about. That's why it's on a mailbag podcast. I'm just kind of answering all the questions I got at once from different people. I got questions about like why the Collins thing is happening again, um, whether bogies available. I got a question about uh, teams for Collins. We're still not quite there on any of that stuff. I think the Hawks still are in the same spot with John in particular and that they want to get a starting caliber power forward back in a trade. That makes, very, that makes life very difficult. Uh, If that changes, maybe it does. Maybe if there's still 500 in a couple weeks, that that might change. But for now, it's kind of the same old, same old on all of these fronts. All right. Nothing's going to be crazy. Uh, I'm sure there'll be more rumors probably on Christmas Day or something like that. But anyway, hold tight and we'll have more on that in the future. Last question is not basketball related before we get out of here. It comes from Todd who says, what is your favorite Christmas movie or television show? I figured I'd throw in a holiday non-basketball question here. It's kind of a good one. My favorite Christmas movie, uh, is Christmas Vacation, probably. It's a classic with Chevy Chase and uh, one of those vacation series movies. It's like from the, I think, 80s. It's a very, very funny kind of crazy movie. Um, just one of those silly things I grew up with and I've watched a million times uh, all the Christmas lights and he's, he's funny in that movie. So I enjoy that one. Uh, on the TV side, I am a sucker for Charlie Brown Christmas. Now it's because my mom loves Charlie Brown Christmas. It's probably her favorite piece of media ever created. She watches it all the time. And I've probably seen it a hundred times. I'm not exaggerating, probably a hundred times. It's uh, obviously not movie length. It's like a half hour or 20 minutes, whatever it is. And uh, it's it's old school for sure. More of a kids thing in a lot of ways, but I uh, will always have a fondness for that. Um, beyond that, like there's always the interesting stuff. Like is Die Hard a Christmas movie. I don't know. Maybe it is. Uh, Elf has been out there making the rounds. It's, it's obviously a great, a great movie as well. But uh, Christmas movies, not generally my genre. There's the whole like Hallmark lifetime apparatus where there's like 100 movies a year now made for christmas that's pretty crazy to me but anyway i will go with christmas vacation and uh i will take uh, your suggestions if you have other things i should be watching during christmas but basically i have to watch a lot of sports christmas is now a day with five nba games every year and now the nfl is is getting in on the action with three games on sunday so it's going to be very, very busy in the next week or so. I'm traveling, so keep that in mind as well. But we'll have uh, full coverage of everything on this podcast as always. And I definitely invite you to subscribe to the show. It's a great time of year to be sharing about the podcast. People will be driving their cars or flying on planes or whatever. And a good time for like Hawks fans to maybe adopt a new podcast in their life. So if you have a Hawks fan friend in your life, please tell them about the show and subscribe and all that fun stuff. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, on the audio side, also on YouTube, on the video side. And the best thing you can possibly do to, su- to support the podcast is to subscribe across multiple platforms. The video and the audio uh, dynamics are interesting, of course. If you want to go Apple on YouTube or Spotify on YouTube or whatever, pick two or three, subscribe and auto-download across the board. Also, I am writing again about the Hawks, patreon.com slash Roland If you want to support that effort as well, follow me on Twitter at btroland. Follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. Enjoy your week, everyone, and I'll see you after the game on Wednesday.